Welcome to The Run. This is episode 18. Patty Quinn along with Jerry Green. Jerry, welcome back. Hey, Patty, this is fun. Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we encourage you to source us out there. We are relatively popular on Spotify, somewhat popular on Apple Podcasts. I don't know how this high-tech gadgetry works, but uh, thanks uh, to everyone who uh, takes the time to uh, find us. Uh, I do know that you can subscribe. Uh, give us a review and give us a share and spread the word with other like-minded folks. We'd appreciate that. Are you ready for some stats? God knows we talk about enough baseball and hockey stats. Are you ready for some podcast stats? Uh, I've been waiting all day, and you still haven't told me any numbers. So. Listenership in Canada. Listenership. In Canada, 93.69%. USA, 4.61% of folks listening in are from the United States. And uh, our, our number three country, could you take a guess? I'm going to say England. No, Australia. Spain, for whatever Alrighty. reason. At 1.01%. <laughs> we don't even talk about soccer. Uh, we're popular in Spain, so there you go. But anyways, folks, thanks uh, so much for listening in. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, so of the 10 listeners, one is from Spain. Subscribe, <laughs> review. Yeah, exactly. There's the math on that. Subscribe, review, and share. If you could help us out, we'd certainly appreciate that. All right. Uh, where do we start here? Maritime Hockey League. My goodness, the Miramichi Timberwolves are off to a 3-1 and start. Got hammered. Uh, about a week ago in Fredericton, 8-1. to And then on the return visit, a uh, 6-2 win on home ice. And that's typical of the Maritime Hockey League right there. I think it was 5-2, wasn't it? Uh, 6-2. Okay. Um, but in, in this case, statistics don't tell the story. The 8-1 game in uh, Fredericton, talking to the people that were there and saw the Saturday night first period and saw the Friday night first period in Fredericton, in which they were down 4 nothing after one period of play, or 4-1, mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm, the case may be. Mm-hmm. They said, we played the exact same period, but bounces around the net, goals went in that, you know, on, on most nights wouldn't, and you find yourself chasing the whole game, ends up 8-1, you're taking more gambles, but statistics really don't tell the story in that, and that, that's what I love about about hockey. You have to have your eyeballs on it. You have to see the game and, and well, diagnose exactly what happened. We were not there, but no. I, th- I think we could both agree that there's no way in hell that at this point in the season, uh, Fredericton is uh, seven goals better than us kind of team. No, absolutely not. They're a good team. Yep. And I think uh, every team we've seen so far, Grand Falls and well, it's been Grand Falls and Fredericton, I guess. Mm. Uh, both of them are great. They're in the other division or other portion of the Northern Conference, but uh, um, two good teams. And I and I, I and I anticipate if Campbellton's going to actually get to play, they've they've started to practice and will appear at the Miramichi Civic Center on Saturday night. They'll be a good team. And I know Summerside, who first got their first win of the season over uh, South Shore, I believe, uh, took them to overtime. I thought in their uh, opener are always going to be a good team. So uh, uh, it, it appears all the teams are ready to go of the ones we've seen. And and, uh, and looking at what's going on in the Southern Division, Nova Scotia Division, what's it called? East Link South? Correct. East Link South. Turo's off to a great start. Yarmouth is doing their thing. I looked at Yarmouth's uh, score sheet the other night, and we know they uh, – uh, 99.9% of the time have an attendance of, what, 1280? Right. It's 1280. I think. We have an I update. Thought, I, we, thought it, well, I thought it was five-something. We, we have an update on attendance metrics. We'll get to that in a few moments as uh, well. That's where I was leading. Okay. That's where I was leading. Well, let's dissect uh, the, uh, before we get to that, uh, 6-2 on home ice. Again, an exciting game. Uh, fans, uh, again, uh, don't point the fingers of blame at Jerry and I. We've been fanning these flames for 21 years off and on. Um, but they are an exciting team to watch. Blackwell, holy shit, is worth thus far, Jerry, the price of admission alone. I know. Um, I said to you the other night, I mean, goodness uh, goodness gracious, if that's Howie Meeker term, um, we're going to have to have them in the three stars every game. I know. I mean, you try to spread it around. You really do, in all honesty. If maybe you only had one, two assists one night and some other guy had goals, maybe, you know, look for a way to not have him in the three stars. But you can't. It, it, so far, you can't. No, he's hard to ignore. He's dominant. He's, yeah. he's, uh, he's hard to ignore. That is exactly what it is. He's hard to ignore. And he's so tenacious, Jerry. He wants the puck all the time. So his first four games, uh, eight points, uh, four goals, and uh, four assists, and uh, zero penalty minutes, which... Is indicative oh, of so far. Is yeah. that right? <clears throat> so he's playing on a line with Conor McGregor, who's a sniper, and another hard nosed guy in Kennedy Gallant. It's a great line, you know. And uh, they're not a selfish line. They'll nope. give and go and do whatever they have to. But uh, uh, Blackwell, well, he's got four goals, and I, I 
don't think McGregor has four goals yet, but McGregor, I'd think, to be the designated uh, gun on that line. But uh, it looks like a tremendous line so far. Uh, our uh, third uh, partner in crime over in uh, our little area of uh, the Civic Center, our office as we call it, Stevie Newman. Uh, he's our kind of our eye in the sky. He has texted me earlier this week saying there's a couple of new players coming. He has uh, Jamie Keyes' ear at Gentleman's <laughs> Hockey. Uh, so Newman is our eye in the sky on that. So there's a couple of players there, so some new faces. Insider. Uh, forthcoming insider uh, Stephen Newman. And uh, Daniel Moody bounces back uh, with, uh, what do you have the other night? 26 shots. So two goals kicked aside, uh, 24 for the win after uh, the drubbing in uh, Fredericton uh, the night before. And it was 6-2. You looking at the score sheet or what? I know it was 6-2. Okay, I thought it was fine. All right, uh, so we move onward and upward. You finally got to see your first uh, game at uh, the Avenir Center this year. The floor is yours, sir. Well, interesting. We did a, uh, we did a Rogers broadcast on uh, Friday night past. Uh, get to the rink uh, a couple hours early because it's the first time we've been there and want to make sure I, I know all the protocol to get in and, and uh, obey all the rules. And it's pretty straightforward. You go in a gate and they check your temperature. You check out a, you, 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 you uh, check off a survey. Uh, you wash your hands and away you go into the facility. You're supposed to go to exactly where you're supposed to be and maybe a little mingling along the way. But everybody I saw had a mask on. Um, in our booth itself, which is at least six feet wide, uh, the color commentator, Chris Dobson's on one side, I'm on the other side, and they have this sophisticated camera that's able to do a split screen. So it makes us look closer together, but yet not. And it looks like there's a petition between us. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, the team itself, I was very entertained with what Moncton had to offer against a St. John team that was, you know, designated on paper to be in first place and they're in last place. All right. So let's just uh, talk at a fundamental level where your juice is flowing. You're happy to get back into the rink. Oh, geez, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, uh, with the first game, uh, new faces and new numbers uh, for the Wildcats and also new faces and new numbers for St. John. So it takes a, uh, from a broadcaster's point of view, it takes a half a period before you know who's who. And as soon as, that, as soon as you say it once and see the number once, then it's logged. That's just the way it works. But that's the way the, my brain works anyways. <laughs> I know. Because you're actually saying the name and the number, and so then, bang, it's logged. Well, having, you know? having worked with you, you are uh, quite encyclopedic. And uh, if, if one were to look over your shoulder, which I have by time over the years, um, there's only one person who can decipher your notes, and, Correct. That, and that's you. That is right. And you, whether you're doing it on the fly or an intermission breakdown... Uh, I don't know how you pull it all together, but there's just numbers on paper, and 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 out it comes. You have a, a beautiful mind to reference the movie. <laughs> it's almost like a little bit of crib notes, where I just need a point to be made that I would know then what I want to say about it, which isn't so. It's not doesn't sound as red as it would be just you know, uh, off the cuff and, and matter of fact. All right, so we've seen how the mechanics of a hockey game at the Miramichi Civic Center work. We'll get to the attendance scenario in just a few moments. Uh, how does the Avenir Center look? Are they maxed out for the uh, amount of people they are allowed? That particular night they were. They had a Wednesday game that was 21-something, 2100. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're allowed, I think, I thought it was 2250. 2,250 they're allowed. And, and am I crazy, or and perhaps you're not privy to this information and putting you on the spot, but at let's say it's 2,000 for the sake of simple mathematics mm-hmm. here. Am I crazy to think that the Moncton Wildcats would not have at least a 2,000 season ticket base alone? Like, is there, yes. is there season ticket buyers who did not get his or her seats this year? I would say, just to be more, uh, I would say there's probably... 2,000, if not a little bit more than 2,000 season ticket holders. And then that leaves about maybe 150 to 200 for walk-up. And a walk-up ticket's like 30 bucks. The price went up because of the I situation g- it is. I got to pay the premium for a seat? Is that what you're saying? You? Yeah. If I'm going for a game, I got to pay the premium because there's only another 150 well, walk-ups? I don't, I don't think the season ticket holders got a... Uh, a break, a, a break. Either uh, well, that's fair. Probably a little bit, but not. They're not paying the thirty bucks. But yes, if you're going to walk up, and there's very few tickets available, and of course, no standing as usual. And uh, uh, I believe it is a thirty dollar ticket. Wow. Yeah, for one person. 
not for a family. We're talking one one person here. So you look down and you see everybody scattered, and you look over on the other side, and uh, people are scattered. The interesting thing about the Avenir Center, and people have said it to me many times, why are the seats so many different colors? Well, the optics are, it makes it look like there's more people sitting, instead of you having a whole white or a whole blue section and you're looking for different colors there, they've scattered the colors, it makes it look like there's more people there. Are, that was the design. Are you guessing at that or you know no, that? No, I know that. Wow. There's some thought into the sea colors? Exactly. See, they now- Instead it, of having it, red, it, blues, well, whites. In your mind's eye, it was- Call me crazy. Was it not all blue at the uh, Coliseum? Lisa Lower side. Oh, yes, absolutely. Hmm. The Avenir Center went a little bit further than that. So, But in, in the game itself, with uh, the uh, uh, in-game entertainment and music, um, I still found, even if there was a bad ref call, you could still hear the fans. The fans ooing and aahing about this and that, even before any music plays. But then when there's a goal... The volume of the place goes up, and it seems quite natural, hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, the celebration. So uh, I didn't see in, in, a, in a, uh, a bigger facility with a bigger sound system and all that, it didn't uh, seem uh, that uh, they were lacking in the enthusiasm coming from the fans. And uh, I say this uh, half uh, jokingly and somewhat in jest, uh, but uh, the number one knock on the Avenir Center since the doors were open, uh, has been parking, but uh, you were saying there's all kinds of parking suddenly. Well, <laughs> there's 3,000 less people. Yeah. <laughs> Usually the, the attendance for the, for the Wildcats last year on average was 52 to 5,400, uh, 5, which is excellent. So if you take 3,000 people out of the equation, there's right. a lot of places to park. And that's what I found when I went the, uh, the first night. It was quite uh, interesting. Uh, just in, in general... And I've seen this uh, through uh, a couple of sets of eyes because um, I have uh, traveled with my uh, father to the uh, last couple of Timberwolves games. But I will say this, uh, COVID-19 aside, um, somehow, someway, through all the madness of it all, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable going to the Miramichi Civic Center. Mm -hmm. And I suspect you feel the same at the Civic Center and subsequently the, the Avenir Center. So kudos to those who have uh, put the plan in place, and you'll notice, and I don't know if you did notice this the other night, uh, but within seconds of that game ending the other night, out comes the crew uh, that works at the Civic Center um, with their sanitization kits, yes. and they're going at it. Yes. And they're going at it with ruthless abandon. They're just whitewashing everything, seats and rails and uh, doors and door handles. It's fascinating to watch. So all I'm saying there is if you've been on the fence, and I don't want to put you in harm's way or elevate your anxiety, but it is safe to my eye, and I'd encourage you to just take it in for yourself and see for yourself. Miles Burrito was in my office the other day, mm -hmm. and I mentioned that to him. And that's, an, that's a city expense. Sure it is. It's not a Timberwolf expense. It's no. not a cost uh, uh, that they incur. And uh, to see them strap that thing onto the back and just start spraying, going up mm -hmm, and down each mm -hmm. row and spraying everything is, is impressive. And, you know, it's getting to a point where I'm not, and in this is the way the brain works anyways, I'm not noticing the mask on my face anymore. You oh. know, it's not, it's still, it's not bothering me at all. I have a lot of surface area here. <laughs> so I do notice yeah, it. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I do find, though... Um, tell, oh, tell me you didn't feel it in those uh, uh, earlier this week. Tell me you didn't feel it at work in those warmer days. Uh, yeah, I must admit that. There was a, a little bit of that. So then you want to go outside and get some fresh air and right. get your mask off and give a little cool down. But yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would agree with that. But um, being in the rink and being at work in non-19 you know, or 20 degrees Celsius weather, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm getting quite used to it. And um, I find uh, at the Avenir Center and at the Civic Center, the obedience level, eh, that's a strong, I don't know if that's the right word, but no, we're playing everybody, by the rules. everybody is yep. and happily to do so. I, you know what? I think I agree with you, firstly. Uh, so uh, understand that. I just think, I think people are so excited to get out and to get to see something yes. that they're going to play by whatever rules are in, being enforced. Yes. 100%. This uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League bubble, which I've uh, read with uh, some great interest, I find it fascinating that they're doing this. Again, outside the box, 
They're trying to push it along. And it's not the same. It has nothing to do with money. It's about uh, continuing the tradition of having the league play, uh, giving the opportunity for the players to play and showcase them in whatever way is possible. So here they come. Um, there are 12 teams in the Quebec portion of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, six in the Maritime Division who are cruising along. They've all played 10, 11 games at least, okay, since the start of October. Knock the on start of October. Yes. <clears throat> so there's a number of teams in the Quebec portion that played the first weekend, October 2nd, October 4th, and that was it. Haven't played since. Okay, have been off now for a month. Right. And in the red zones, there are five teams that get to play that – Bay Como and Ramuski are way out of the red zone. They're way up the uh, the uh, far eastern portion of the St. Lawrence or northern portion of the St. Lawrence. I'm swimming in your okay. wake on this All one. Right. That's where they are out. They're out. They're out of the red uh, portion. Valdor and Runaranda, who are well north yes. of Gatineau and them, they're out of there. And supposedly Sherbrooke is too. And I don't know how Sherbrooke manages that. I thought they were right in the. So the other seven teams haven't played much at all. So the brain thrust gets together and says, well, let's put them together for 11 days in a bubble in Quebec City in the uh, most expansive uh, facility in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the Videotron in in Quebec City, 18,000 seats. All right, so allow me to jump in. You've been? Never been in it, no. But you've broadcast from the old arena? Yes. So in that general corridor, because it's been many years, the last time I was at uh, the old arena uh, was years ago for a concert, Um, is there... I don't remember it being built up at that time. It just seemed like it was a rink in the suburbs, but is there hotels and is there, like when they say bubble, are we going like NHL style here? Is there a hotel handy? And Well, I think the bubble meaning they'll all be in the same location and all be using the same buses and all that sort of thing. All right. So I they're think. Getting, they're they're, getting, they're sh- not going to be able to walk to the room. They're to getting the rink. shuttled in and out. Right. I got okay. you. So they are in lockdown in their hotel. Right. Save for the day there's a rink. Is the other rink still there? They blow that off the foundation. I think it's down. Okay. I think it's a- so we're down to one rink. Seven of them, they're going to play a round robin. So they're going to bang out six games in those 11 days. So you're going to have more than a couple games a day type of thing. You're saying round robin applying its tournament level, but they're just knocking games off the schedule. Right. They're, not, okay, they're going to get you. six games on their schedule. So now right. they've got eight in their books. Some of them will have 10 in their books. You know, Victoriaville's played four, you know, that sort of thing. So they're going, to, they're going to catch up, if you will, with the Maritime Division and then see how the conditions of Quebec are in relation to the COVID level of awareness, if it's red, yellow, orange, whatever it might be. So we're talking like like noon starts, noon, three? Well, if you think about it, so there'd be... Probably early morning starts, too, to get, to get them all in. So it'd be three games a day. Okay. Could there be? Well, there, there's six teams. There's seven teams, actually. So let's say there's three games a day. All right, so let's work backwards. Assuming the late game starts at 8 o'clock. So let's do this. Let's do um, six times six is 36. Mm-hmm. And you've got 11 days to do it. Sounds about right. Three games a day. Yeah. Eh? I, I do give, uh, and you've been very kind in your assessment of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I got to give them credit for finding a way to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, all things fair and equal. And the other, the other two members of the CHL, which is the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League, are still on idle and sitting for WHL, I believe, January, and for sure, OHL's not well, till February. I uh, listen to a lot of uh, Chad Radio out of uh, Edmonton, uh, Oilers fan that I am. Bob Stoffer uh, has a wonderful daily show, Oilers Now, and I listen to the uh, podcast version of it every night just to stay abreast of all things Oilers. And the interesting footnote there as you t- take us down that road is that the Western Hockey League is so far off into the future that it's flooding the... Alberta Junior Hockey League and the BC Junior Hockey League and all the other leagues out there that are at the same level as the uh, Timberwolves. And there's a real brouhaha. Uh, some teams are signing players. Really? Uh, other teams are declining to sign players and, and willing to roll the dice on, on their own. Um, it's, it's very it's very interesting. It's quite fascinating. Uh, what happens in January, February when those leagues get going and uh, three, four, five players from each team are heading back to their respective WHL teams? I don't know, but uh, it's interesting. You should go down that uh, rabbit hole. Well, I thought I read today that uh, Sweden shut down their junior program. Um, they're like, under- not, like not coming to the World Junior? I believe, as of right now, they've shut it down. So, I wow. mean, 
Uh, and that, again, re- you know, reverts back to um, the Team Canada tryouts that uh, Moncton Wildcat player Jordan Spence is supposed to go to. I can't get my head around you're going to have some players there from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League who've been up and playing live action, well, full speed, and you're going to have OHL and WHL guys there. And, and, and NCAA has been slow to get fired back up. I, I, I'm going to assume, I mean, what's that start on uh, Boxing Day traditionally, right? The World Junior? Yes. So here we are in mid-November. You'd have to assume, Jerry, it's going to be a heavily Quebec Major Junior Hockey League-centric team, or am I crazy? So does, are the dominoes starting to fall that Sweden says, okay, we're going to not? Uh-huh. Hmm. And Sweden's a major component to the World Juniors. Sure You're going to have a watered-down product if, if well, not, not if just Sweden left, but it could start the other, the Finlands and the... You know, and the Germany's. Czechs and the Germanys and all them starting to evaluate whether or not, well, geez, Sweden pulled the plug. What should we do? Interesting point. You know, so I just read that today, and I and I believe it to be um, as in not. It was in, <laughs> I don't read Swedish, but there was, <laughs> there was. Uh, oh, you don't? It was retweeted about what it was about, but it doesn't talk specifically about the World Junior Tournament that I saw anywhere, but I'm assuming that's what it is. All right, we referenced this earlier. Uh, name check time here. Doug Cooling uh, set us straight uh, on uh, the math we did the other day on the uh, Centre Jean Daigle in Edmonston. The rink in Edmonston that's right. always full capacity when it was non-COVID. 2850, I think, is what they were allowed to have in there. Seating capacity is 2400. All right, so allow me to give a broad stroke here and then you can get into the finery of this as we've come to understand this is not a uh, a, a, a league-wide rule it's not a provincial rule it is done at the municipal level so the city of Miramichi has uh, determined that one-third is the magic number of the Miramichi Civic Center there's 1,804 seats do your own math there there's no standing uh, same as uh, the uh, LBA and, and the rest of the facilities so when we look at the uh, Edmonston numbers it you're like holy shit they're putting a pile of people in that rink and we're wondering why come to find out it's all done at the municipal level yeah I thought it would be a league thing though Patty and um, and the fact that a third isn't a good enough for them in Edmonston, that they're well above, I think it's more like 45%, because if they seat uh, 2,400, follow along with me with the math here, half of 2,400 is 1,200, that actually is 55, because they had 1,330 the other night Mm. when the last time I looked, Mm -hmm. and that's well above half, and that the municipality would decide that, you know, we're going to have half attend and roll the dice on that. I just don't... Well, I don't understand how the league would allow uh, right. each municipality to have control of that. I, I think a third is a great number. I think every yeah. arena in our league and in uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, I think a third is perfect. It gives you enough room to social distance. It gives you enough room to yes. control where you're going, how you're getting in and out, and so on and so forth. But now that I think about it, I think the Halifax Mooseheads and Cape Breton Screaming Eagles, again, uh, aren't governed by a unilateral, this is the percentage you're allowed to have in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Hell of a word there, unilateral. Um, because I know I looked at Mooseheads, they had only they seat 10,250, let's say. And routinely. Yes. They only had like 1,900 at their game the other day. I know. Night. I don't and know. I don't, I don't think it was a dramatic drop in numbers. I don't think they're allowed much more than that. No, I think you're right. I think that's... So at, that's not 25%. Whether, no, whether that's at a provincial or a municipal level, that number is decidedly low. But uh, let us not forget that uh, Halifax, or excuse me, Nova Scotia in general, uh, had a little bit of a, a spike there uh, not so very long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, are we good on all things Quebec Major Junior Hockey yes, League? Yes, so we established that. That's why Edmonston is having big numbers up there. So it'll be uh, – I wonder what Campbellton's uh, uh, magic number is. Magic number is. So, again, I think they're supposed to play their first game, the Campbellton Tigers, who haven't played a game yet in the MHL because of the orange, yellow. Yeah. No, orange. Yeah. Are they in yellow now? They're ready to roll now. They're ready to roll. Like Hamilton, by all accounts, unless all hell breaks loose between uh, now and Saturday, they're coming. They're playing Friday at home against Grand Falls and then come to Miramichi Saturday. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so. 
So we move onward and upward, and uh, we wanted to get in a little shot here uh, because uh, we're, we're all about uh, uh, sports on TV here. It seems to be a, <laughs> a certain high percentage of our lives, but my goodness gracious, the uh, Masters in uh, November, come on. Is that not going to be uh, a respite from this COVID craziness? So you had, had the Stanley Cup decided in October, right. or uh, September. Mm-hmm. You had the NBA's decided in October. And now you hear you're playing the Masters in November. A couple of different things as a golfer. Um, you, the, bill, you, you bill yourself as a golfer. I, I think I know the science of golfing. What's your handicap? Oh, 14. Is that know, good? I'm, or, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm a mid-80s guy. I love the 80s to begin with. So mid-80s. <laughs> oh, mid-80s. Mid-80s guy for me. And if I'm in low 80s, I had a good day. You know, if I hit the 70s, I, I was unconscious. So the putting, the putting was, the putting was good. All right. So sorry. the thing about playing in the fall, no matter how much further south Augusta, Georgia is, um, the ball doesn't carry as far. The, the air is heavier. It's not as light as it would be in the summer sun or the spring sun, actually, because usually the Masters is played in April, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I think it's April in the spring air. So you have that factor. The other factor, you're not going to have fans there as they, they've done, and, and what a tremendous part of that tournament the fans are. And number two, I guess the azaleas won't be out because it's not spring. <laughs> There'll be fall colors around Augusta and uh, tile back there, groundskeeper well, Willie. They're well known for the azaleas on the back of the. Uh, I think it's the par three twelfth, and a couple other holes in that back nine where it's it's quite a thing. I'm I'm not a big golf guy, admittedly so. But uh, am I crazy, or uh, is it something that should be on every golfing enthusiast list of things to do if you were lucky enough to get tickets? Is to take in the Masters, right? That's the that's the the Super Bowl, if you will. Is that fair? That is fair, but uh, unless you have an interest in it, there's no reason for you to want to go there. I mean, you have to like the sport. If I called you, you tonight to like- and said I got a, I got a weekend pass for two at the uh, national uh, the Augusta National, you're not coming with? Me. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying um, not everybody would be amused by that. Uh, not if you're not a golf fan. Some people hate golf. Think the stupidest game in the world. They they don't care what's going on at Augusta. Yeah, but I think you can buy into them. I mean, you're not an F1 guy, but if I had tickets to the race in Montreal, you're coming with me, are you not? Well, if you had a, tickets to a race in Britain, I'd go. You're not coming to the one in Montreal. Yeah, I'd go to the one in Montreal. Thank you very much. Yes. How about- and, and yes, uh, any anybody uh, uh, around the world of sports would want. Yes, if you had a ticket to go walk the grounds of Augusta, you would go. Yeah, it seems yes. like the thing to do. Yes, uh, azaleas aside, they're handed down. There's no, they're they're um, they're willed to people. I mean, you don't you don't just acquire one. You what, they, are, you, what are you talking about? Tickets well, or a membership? Tickets. Holy shit! Are you? I gotta wait for you to die before I can have your. Well, ticket? I'm telling you, there's something about there's no, you know, you can't just go online and get a ticket to see the Masters. Is that so? That is so. There's no be it, be there's it corporate no, or individual family owned tickets. That's the only way you get in. You need connections to get in. Really? Yep. Wow. Stan Knowles told me a story one time, and Stan, a, a lovely man and a, and a and a I think retired pharmacist now, and I think he might be still. I think Stan's wheeling, uh, and, wheeling and dealing a little bit. I think still. he's on the step down program. Yeah. Um, he got invited. I don't know. And again, uh, Stan corrected, but it was Pfizer or somebody invited him to go to yeah, the some, Masters. Some pharmaceutical. Me, yes, yes. Yes. Did he go? Yes. Oh, okay. Did, I don't know the rest of the story. I, I mean, I've never. But he I've regaled never, you with something. Give yeah, me something here. I never picked here. his brain about it. No, I don't. I don't recall. I never picked his brain real hard about it. Stan Oles is down there balling with everyone at Augusta <laughs> National. Is that so? Yeah. Wow. You know, so fascinating it is fascinating so the fact that it's starting now and it this is uh it'll go thursday friday saturday sunday and all the big names are there and uh four canadians are there including mike weir because mike weir won the masters uh, i don't know it must have been the 80s i can't remember the, the date. 80s are you kidding me mike weir I'm Remember gonna, when he won the Masters? I'm going to guess like, oh, one, two, or three. Hang on here. Okay. 80s. Holy uh, shit. No, it's not the 80s. not that old. He's probably our age. Yeah. Keep talking. So, yeah, you might, you might be right. But so once you win the Masters, you have a lifelong exemption. You go as long as you want to and can go. 
you go and play in the tournament. If you're a previous Green Jacket winner, you have an open invitation. Right. If you're good to go, they have a spot for you. If you can walk and swing the club, you're on. 2003. Okay, good one. Wow. I don't know where I was going with so that. So open invitation. Open invitation. So he and along so with a guy three like, other Canadians are there. So a guy like Tiger Woods who's won f- uh, five times? I don't know. He won last year for crying out loud. I know, but what I'm saying is... Hard to keep track of him. <laughs> because he's taking a spot, do they... Do they have four or less because he's won five championships or? No. Okay. I don't know how that works, but they got 90 some odd players and you would, you would, you have to have done something to get there. You have to have won something. What I mean, you had to have won something. You could have won the Houston Open. So you could have won, uh, you know, whatever, but you have to win something on the tour just to get there. So shooting an 88 on a Thursday night at uh, Miramichi Golf and Country no. Club ain't going to punch your ticket. No. Not even close. No. Okay. But three Canadians, two, uh, two of which have been there before and one that hasn't, Hadwin, Connors, and Taylor, I believe. So you have four Canadians in the hunt, and those three guys are really good golfers and could possibly be vying in the top ten if if uh, things go well. I'm going to put myself in harm's way here. I feel by asking you this question because it may come out stupid, but a golfing uh, enthusiast, I am not lucky to play around every other year when someone says, "Quinn, there's a tournament. Come on, we're putting you in it." I'm more there for entertainment purposes than I am for my golfing ability, but. If Miramichi Golf and Country Club hosted a bunch of PGA guys and gals, would they just chew that course up? I have no oh, idea. Oh, God. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, terribly. So, like, Augusta National is mind-blowingly harder than anything we're used to around it's, here. It's just longer. It The course is longer. I mean, I think Miramichi's, I don't know, and if it doesn't mean anything to you, 61 or 6,200 yards. I understand that. Where um, Augusta might be 7,800 yards. Mm-hmm. So the tees are put way back, if you've ever noticed, especially, let's say, 18 at Augusta, and I can visualize 18 at Augusta. They have the tee box way back, way back for you just to get it out into the middle of the fairway. You've got to really hit it. And those are the pro, of course, the pro tees. And so who's your favorite? Are you like a Mickelson guy, or who's your... Well, Mickelson's now 50-plus, which, of course, you'd love to see him win. And so are you, and need I remind I you. I know, but uh, they've got some young studs there, including uh, uh, DeChambeau, who's supposed to going to eat well. it up with his long driver. But Justin Thomas is a little skinny guy that can hit it pretty far, too. And you got Dustin Johnson. There's a lot of great players that are going to be there and all have done something to get there. So it's like your all-star affair, but, you know. And I, I know you, and we'll end it on this one. I know you've seen it a million times. I've watched it a million myself. Uh, that little skip shot in the practice round and the hole-in-one was insanity. Yeah, by John Rahm. Insanity. Big German. No, he's um, Spanish, sorry. Mm-hmm. His big, hey, we're big in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his idol is Seve Ballesteros. I'm pretty sure he's, he's Spanish. Mm-hmm. Skip that on seven. 16, uh, it's the 16th hole, the infamous 16th hole of which Tiger does the uh, uh, infamous chip uh, from off the green in the back, and the guy goes, can you believe it? It's going, and, and then it hangs on the, on the lip and then falls in. I think that was Tiger. Oh, it's the was, same hole. Yeah, it's the same hole. Oh. That was that. You must have seen it. I am familiar. And Vern Lundquist was doing, I remember, because his, his voice in golf is, is very distinctive. And we're going to get to voices, too. Was doing the, uh, the play-by-play. But for him, and Rom, just to be joking around, skips one off the water in the pond, way up on the, on the and, you, <laughs> and it has a, a turn like that, and had the momentum to go up on the top part of the green and roll all the way down and right in the middle of the hole for a hole-in-one. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. <clears throat> I was watching that. And uh, you just can't imagine that you are watching it. Yeah. And then you hit rewind, and you're like, holy shit. Like, almost an impossible shot. It is unbelievable, yeah. So if Mickelson and Green are teeing off at 325 Miramichi Golf and Country Club, what's he shooting? What are we, a par 72 at Miramichi Golf and Country Club? Yes. So what's he shooting? You're shooting an 85. What's Phil shooting? Phil? Mm-hmm. On my course... Yes, your course. The, oh, the Jerry Green uh, fifty nine. Really? Yes. So you're bo- he would eat that up. So you're eighty five. You're bo- you're slowing him down and bothering the shit out of Phil yes. Mickelson. 
Okay. That's a silly question. Well, no, I'm just <laughs> – He would eat that. Any he, any pro <clears throat> player would eat that. Up. The only reason I ask is because uh, I had the good fortune of uh, my one round this year, uh, believe it or not, was at Fox Creek. And even pulling into the parking lot, I was like, boys, I can't be here because I'm a – bushwhacker and i know that i got to point towards logieville to get the ball to go towards nelson if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i almost talked myself out of going and then you get on the course and you realize real quickly that you know you really shouldn't be here because there's so many fancy rules they had like marshals coming up to you and they have what uh pace of play that's a term yeah where they go like our average pace of play today is 411 fathead you're hitting her at 418 speed her up a notch here well yeah you can't Step up to the ball and then tell your five-minute story, and then hit the ball and then joking lazily get back in the cart and start driving. No, you got to have a pace. You got to, you got to, you've got to be uh, ready to play. Is what they use the term ready to play golf. You got to be you, ready to play. Are you assuming I'm holding story court and in, in the tee box? I'm just saying. Uh, you would be out for a nice afternoon, and if there was a story to go along just before you hit the ball, then you're going to tell it. I am offended. <laughs> Why? That, 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 it's not. It's not something to be offended about. I mean, you. I'm you, joking. Obviously, you're not. You. You aren't aware that there's a pace of play. Here. Here's the other one. Uh, Are you? Uh, no. You were oblivious of that. Here's another one. Uh, maybe you don't know this one. <laughs> so we're on some hole down there. It's par three for sure. And out of nowhere, and I mean literally out of nowhere, this guy appears in a cart and goes, what are you two doing? And my partner from work and I are driving uh, to the ball. And if you're a golf enthusiast, I apologize. Keep breathing for me here. But on a par three, you're not supposed to drive uh, to your ball on the fairway. You follow the cart, park at a 90-degree angle, and hoof it across. Did you know this rule? Yes. In a lot of uh, uh, courses that have paved um, well, paved, was, paved yes. cart paths. They want you to keep that cart on the paved path and walk across to your ball. Now, whether or not it was a par three, so that was the only time anybody ever said to you well, anything it was, about I, it? I'll tell you what. So funny you would ask that. It was the first par three because we did not do it again. I can guarantee you that. We uh, learned that lesson uh, the hard way. Uh, and you know what? I'm, I'm not knocking Fox Creek. They were very cordial. They are very mm-hmm. nice about it, but... I mean, these are things a bushwhacker should know when he well, or she it's is. it's less wear and tear on the fairways. Oh, I understand yeah. that. But tell a lad that when they're leaving. By the way, there. Because you could look at me. But I had a bag with four clubs in it. You know what I mean? That's how I uh, showed up at the golf course. Yeah, uh, I can see on a par three, there is a certain area that you cannot uh, penetrate in around any of the greens. Don't get the cart too close. And now on a par three, you might have rolled up to the front that might have been a little too close to that zone that they don't want you to be in. But I don't think I played Fox Creek myself, and I don't even remember the, there ever being that it was a what you call a lateral. You'd 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 stop your cart at where your ball was and walk across with the club that you have to hit. I don't think that's the case there. But maybe on the on the short par threes, maybe you were too close to the green. Maybe that was it. And here's uh, the uh, final footnote on my uh, debacle at Fox Creek. Uh, wouldn't you know it? My disdain for the Moncton Fisher Cats is uh, well known. <laughs> The force for the name. The foursome behind us has three guys with Moncton Fisher Cats caps on coming up, and you're just like, "Oh my God, frig off, Fisher Cats, <laughs> get off my golf course." <laughs> Anyways, all right. So, sad note: Alex Trebek passed away on uh, the eighth of November after a two-year-plus battle with pancreatic cancer, and uh, what a shame! Just uh, a, a true gentleman, uh, no stranger to Jeopardy, are yourself or I. Uh, you have a, a standing date with uh, your mom uh, on episodes of uh, Jeopardy, but uh, what a loss. Oh, and to watch the first episode, it was Monday of this week after his passing on the weekend, and the producer had a monologue about, and could barely, you know, not barely, but he had time keeping himself together, mm-hmm. and to explain what Alex's wishes were regarding the episodes that remained mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, how much they... Uh, Loved uh, loved him very much, and, and condolences to his family, and all those terms that he used. But it it was an appropriate thing to not just start running the episodes, but for the producer to come on and explain exactly that this is not in bad taste. He wants us. To, he wanted us to play these, mm-hmm. and we're going to. And and how different it was to watch him do a show, knowing. You know where he is now. Uh, the final 35 episodes are in the tank. Uh, recorded as little as uh, three weeks ago. 
Uh, so he was still uh, running strong. And uh, wow. the interesting thing that uh, I uh, read, classic Alex Trebek, maybe it's a classic Canadian uh, aspect of this too, uh, but apparently uh, the producers, the people behind the scenes that uh, make uh, Jeopardy happen, network officials as well, um, had invited him to pick his successor, and he wanted nothing to do with it. In the sense that I've done my part. Yeah. I, I don't want to influence yeah. uh, who you hire, mm-hmm. why you hire him or her. Mm-hmm. You do your thing, and I'm going to do Alex Trebek. And I thought, man, that's pretty pretty classy. It's a fair question, though. It's a fair question in the producer's mind to think sure that maybe he had thought of somebody that might be good at that or um, any for any particular reason. It's a fair question, yeah, but it's, it's, that would be an Alex Trebek answer for sure. Next time you watch Jeopardy, mm-hmm. the tone, the articulation, the pronunciation of Alex Trebek, mm-hmm. but notice when somebody gets the answer correct, he does not say the same thing every time. It'd be like, yes, correct, very good. And he, and he doesn't say... He would shake it up. He shakes it up. He has a, mm. he has a, a medley of things he says. Take yeah. notice. And it's really good. And, and, uh, and when he's really excited that somebody got a yes. And, you know, in a way they go in picking another category. See, Take notice of that. I, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm getting chills as you say that because there is a certain rhythm and cadence yes. to the hosting of a show or a radio program or a TV program. So, yeah, I will Take do that. And really, con- and really appreciate, um, you know, uh, you and I have read scripts before mm-hmm. and how many questions are involved. And he has to go over every one of them. You can't just read them cold. Oh, sure. Uh, to prepare for every show. Sure. And to be as smooth, and, and especially with the enunciations of everything, of, uh, <laughs> you know, 200 in, in uh, Latin art from 1800s, you know, and to come up with the names and, and be so articulate about it has, has always astounded me watching the show, not only from an entertainment perspective, but just as a, uh, a broadcaster and, and how he's so good at that. Howie Meeker, go ahead. Howie Meeker passed away. Howie Meeker... Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I heard of Howie Meeker passing is his work on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. And his, his work on Hockey Night in Canada started with uh, him analyzing the period with the host. And it might have been Dave Hodge. I can't remember if I it think was Dave right. Hodge or maybe even somebody before that. I think you're right. The first guy that really loved to use what they call the telestrator, or I don't know if it was telestrator, but he always had 100%. a player two that they had clipped and he would always get them to stop it right there, mm-hmm. and he would show you where everybody was. He was the first guy to really teach hockey on Canadian television to Canadians about the finery of the game and where people should be and how they should be there and what play, how this play developed and how it came to be what it was. Um, and the other thing that instantly jumped back into my mind, and I think it was Saturday afternoon, I can't remember, or Saturday just before Hockey Night in Canada, was Howie Meeker Hockey School. He had it on CBC. It was 15 minutes, and he would have kids on there, and he would run drills and show this and show that, and uh, um, uh, very fascinating of his knowledge of the game and uh, the Howie Meeker Hockey School, which I think was... Uh, recorded in Newfoundland because I, always in my mind I thought he had an attachment to Newfoundland, mm-hmm. but he was born in Ontario and, and lived a lot of his life in British Columbia. Um, but my father-in-law Jack uh, Jack Upham played senior hockey against him after his days in in uh, Toronto. Get out! Yes, played senior hockey with him in Newfoundland, and wow. then he stayed in Newfoundland for a while, and of course then did that show from Newfoundland with the with the hockey school. But he was, you know, he was a rookie of the year. He won, I think, three or four Stanley Cups with the with the Maple Leafs. Um, you know, Mr. Leaf, and he was ninety seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, always fond memories. There's not. I don't think there's anything you'd say bad about about uh, Howie Meeker and, and way he portrayed himself on television. Anyways, two things that I learned uh, this week about uh, Howie Meeker uh, was um, the gentleman. Uh, remember the Red Green Show? I'm, uh, don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, he always used to say, keep your stick on the ice, and that was an homage to Howie Meeker. Uh, Howie Meeker was the first person to lay oh, that yeah. out. You remember this? Yes. And uh, secondly, and uh, I have uh, been involved in it here locally, uh, so it's a little bit of a passion project for myself, but his work 
um, because I noticed it on Twitter specifically, the folks at um, Special Olympics Canada were really lamenting about Howie Meeker. And I guess the stuff he did on behalf of the Special Olympics movement. Right, that comes, yes. The athletes is just fascinating. Like 40 plus years, Mm -hmm. that was his little Mm -hmm. passion project and his give back, if you will. Mm -hmm. Even going back so far, this would date it a little bit. All the kids that were on the hockey school had those, uh, I call them the Dave Dunn helmet. It was made by Cooper. Dave Dunn. Dave Dunn. We always called it the Dave Dunn helmet, just like you always called the CCM helmet the Paul Henderson helmet. You know, Paul Henderson's helmet. Are you familiar with Paul Henderson? Absolutely. Okay, did you ever refer to it as a Paul Henderson helmet? A little bit before my time. Okay, because there wasn't that many people that wore a helmet See, in now, the NHL then. The Jofa was your Yager Lemieux. Right. Okay. Uh, Gretzky wore a, Yof- a Jofa that would ne- was yes. never approved. Right. But it was just, he said, okay, I got a helmet on. Yeah. I'm wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, we who's, called it- who's Dave Dunn? Dave Dunn was a big, burly defenseman. Look him up, and you'll see his I'm, helmet. I'm doing it and right now. It's a Cooper helmet. Was he a Jet? And it was the awful, most awful helmet. I think he was a Leaf for sure. He's uh, Dave Dunn would have been a Leaf. I'm sure he was. Dave Dunn. Oh, that is an atrocious helmet. Yes, the oh. Cooper helmet, if anybody remembers, and I don't know what year it was. Uh, it was the worst helmet. It was like a bad toupee is what it was. Dave Dunn. Anyways, all the kids on Meeker's. <laughs> Hockey school, they, uh, maybe it was sponsored by Cooper, I don't know, had these awful Cooper helmets on. Mooseman, Saskatchewan, is that? Yeah, that sounds right. Mooseman, yeah. Okay, I'm saying that right. Yeah. Vancouver Canucks, Toronto Maple Leafs, and here's where you roll in, Winnipeg Jets, mm-hmm. in the WHA days. Oh, no, big, uh, big uh, effective defenseman, stay-at-home type of defenseman, and uh, I thought he had a brother that played goal, too. On Monday, the first episode uh, before after Alex Trebek had, had passed, mm. Um, they had Ken Jennings in a certain category about uh, marine biology or something. Yeah. Now, I don't think he's the guy to replace him. Now, there's been rumors that he is the guy that might replace well, him. Now my mother- I didn't like the way I didn't like the way he reads. I don't like I didn't like the tone of his voice. And if, and if he's the choice, I'd be disappointed. My mother took me down that road and said, uh, I hear they're taking because she's a big Jeopardy lady. Um, that Ken Jennings is going to be his replacement. I'm like, no, I don't think so. To me, you got to go. With a what seasoned veteran, a broadcaster, you can't come in off the street and wing that. You cannot. Uh, there's the point. You cannot think that somebody off the street can come in and do the job that Alex Trebek did for so many years. I would and s- did it to perfection. Virtually impossible. It is, and don't insult him by doing it. You know, don't insult him by having Jennings take over. And and, and as you said. He didn't want to have anything to do with it, so I don't think he endorsed anybody. He didn't want anything to do with who's going to be the next one to replace him. Mm-hmm. So don't make it Jennings. I'm just telling you, don't. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's not your decision, I know, but it, I'll be irritated if it is because I didn't I, I didn't like his presentation, the way he read, nothing like that. Alex Trebek and Howie Meeker both uh, passed away mm-hmm. uh, this week, and uh, we are less of a spot without them around. I'm sure we can agree on that and put a cap on this. Yeah, it's been an awful year. You know what? It has been an awful year. 2020 can yeah. end already. Yeah, enough already. Enough already. Was there anything that's uh, burning questions or burning topics in your brain that you'd like to bring to the forefront? There was something. You like wrestling and I like wrestling. <sighs> and I haven't watched it much since the crowd's not there. I haven't watched any of the presentations they've been making without fans in the stands for a WWE event be it uh, your SmackDown or your Raw or whatever it is. They're still doing them, right? I'm a SmackDown guy, too. Okay, but they're still doing them. Oh, yes. But they're doing them in front of screens. Like the Now they've incorporated faces like they did for the NBA, that they're around the ring. Around the ring. But um, but I will say this. Where, where are you going with this? You, you finish this uh, trajectory first. Okay, where I'm going with this, mm. uh, just as I talked about uh, listening to Alex Trebek and the subtleness of which he presents every right answer and how he congratulates and moves on. Right. I was watching the other day something on uh, Twitter about wrestling and how much of a, a factor in a subtle way the referee is. The referees in WWE are just as much of a character and have just as predominant a role Agreed. in keeping, and the way that they're acting is done, or the way that they're presenting themselves, I don't know if there's a referee school, but I think I could do it. 
I, watching it enough, I think I could have. But the way they're, they're very athletic, too. And the way they slip and fly into areas and, and doing the one-two and not only, you know, all the things that they do, they're underappreciated. And I just found them entertaining to watch the other day when I switched it on. I said, this guy is good. Well, as we wax nostalgic about broadcasters, let's not overlook that because the broadcasters that are doing the commentary of said wrestling matches are selling the shit out of it, too. And they have great um, terms that are specific to certain people. Okay. Do you think they're sitting on the on the on the on the uh, apron there doing their broadcast? Do you think they have a script? Do you think they have a quasi script there? They're oh. not just going off the cuff, Patty. They must know what's coming up, or maybe I what line of uh, of uh, of. Uh, adventure they should go on about story who, arc. yeah story yes. yeah story arc that's I, a good one. i would say if they're going to air at eight o'clock at night i would say there's a three o'clock lunch meeting to get the the night's game plan together maybe we invite sean mccarthy back love to mm-hmm. chat about this uh uh wrestling trajectory that you have brought to the forefront so i'm going to go back to referee jerry because you said i think i can do it so let's assume there's a car to the <laughs> avenir center well, <laughs> and, and, and uh, for whatever reason, both uh, on the guest ref, the referees are—they uh, have the flu. <laughs> They've got the seasonal flu and are unable to perform. And you're there uh, getting ready for a Moncton Wildcats broadcast the day after, and they say, "Jerry, we need a referee down here. You're our man." Well, if someone has you pinned in the corner and choking, you'll go one, two, and then get him to break it up. But and then he'll get back in there, and go one, two, and then push him away, and you know. That's... But you're taking that action <laughs> if they ask you, are you not? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I was being facetious, but I think, yes, I've seen enough that I could do it. Listen, uh, I don't know if I know all the rules. Is there any rules? What is it? <laughs> 2020, I'm going to guess uh, four or five years ago, maybe more, uh, wrestling card at the uh, Civic Center and uh, Axe and Smash Demolition are in town. And uh, I got to introduce them. And uh, I tell you what, I'm getting chills just as I regale you with this. Um, when you uh, step between those ropes, and I went through, not over, I'll have you know. Oh, no, you got to go through. <laughs> uh, and you're in that ring, and I realize I'm at the Civic Center. There's a couple hundred people there. You likely know 95% of them, but it's just that suspension of reality and that theater of mind. It just, there's something in you, uh, the, the, the show business side of us that gets the juices flowing. And I would, in fairness, and in all honesty, I would like a redo. I would do something a little different. I didn't quite do my homework, I would say. I thought I would show up and be able to handle it, which I did, of course. No one really noticed my uh, failures. Uh, were, were your own harshest mm-hmm. critic, as we would say, but I, I would like a do-over on that. But again, the point I'm making is when the lights went down and the, the spotlight comes up and you know Axe and Smash are coming at you, uh, the other one, too, is Hacksaw Jim Duggan was in the studio one time, and he's talking to uh, Darcy and I like um, you and I are right now. And then, uh, you know, the song has come to the fade. It's time to go live with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And the second you say, Hacksaw, welcome to uh, 95.9 Sun FM, the show's on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not the guy we just talked to off the air about his trip in uh, into Miramichi and, uh, you know, how he got here and the night before. Like, when the lights go down, those guys and gals are the absolute best. I, I respond to wrestling at that level. I just love the the showmanship of it all. And I would make the case, as you say, they're doing it in front of empty arenas or studio, wherever they are. Mm-hmm. I don't. They're not barnstorming. They're 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 pretty stationary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now you're finding out who who can really sell and who can't sell because there's no one there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You really got to up your game. And I know I said uh, possibly that uh, the the guys who do the play by play for wrestling do have a script to work from. But when uh, the most entertaining part of the 80s and 90s wasn't what happened in the ring, it was hap- what happened outside the ring if yes. Stone Cold or, or, uh, or uh, The Rock got to talk. And that was where, you know, Gene Oakland, if you want to talk about a broadcaster of a name of the past, oh, a, a memory of, of a fellow's voice that you'll never forget. Jim Ross. Jim Ross. But Gene Oakland, mean Gene Oakland was... Uh, coming up when I think the Hulkster was coming up. But anyways, having said that, they don't work from a script. They have a, th- a, a theme in their mind, but all the stuff coming out of their mouth, there's no way 
they've written that down and are supposed to then present it word for word. There's no way. It's all ad lib. Of course, for I thought for for The Rock, who was the best ad libber of them all, um, that none of that was scripted. I don't think Stone Cold or any of the best ones were. Um, but I find uh, the newer edition of the WWE, there's less um, entertainers that uh, get interviewed as well as the guys in the past. I just don't find anybody jumps out at me. And the other thing that stuns me about, not stuns me, but is, is prominent in WWE now is the girls' division is just as strong as the guys' division. Absolutely. The women's division is just as strong as the guys' division. Are you familiar with the name uh, Tyson Dukes? He's a local wrestler? No. Follow him on Twitter and uh, Facebook. Uh, he's fascinating. He would be, I'm going to guess, what am I, Jerry? 44. I would guess he's either my age or maybe a year or two above, but uh, he has a wrestling school now, and he's a little bit old school like you and I. Follow this guy. Well, you know what? If the moon and stars aligned, and we figured out some of this technological stuff here that we're staring at right now. Maybe we could get him on because he would blow your mind. He's well, He is a student of the game and well, the classics right from your era, too. Well, you need to get on that then. <laughs> I mean, you're the, no technical, you're the technical side of this. So, Well, you know what? If, if COVID taught us anything, it's uh, made the world smaller yet again because... I can't imagine that we're much more than a zoom away here. That's from, what I'm thinking. From adding a guest to this uh, podcast, mm-hmm. somehow, some way, we'll have to experiment with that. The miracle of modern technology mm-hmm. that is the internet. We could easily do it. Uh, I'm gonna. I ra- mean, we could easily test it, anyways. I'm gonna wrap up here. Uh, is there anything else? Um, I just wanted to get a little plug in here. Did you finally finish? Not a plug, but uh, just open up another line of uh, conversation. Did you finally finish uh, the Queen's Gambit yet? I have the last episode tonight. I'm oh, you've watched the last episode tonight. Oh, you've already made a plan for this. Well, there's one episode left, and it's whatever forty seventy nine minutes or forty five minutes, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to you know get it finished tonight because it's been very entertaining. Yes, uh, it has been. Okay, so I and again, I told you I won't ruin anything. We'll we'll table this topic till next time. The fact that it's in the early in mid sixties, yes. I love it. Yes, I love it. Just like I told you about Mrs. Maisel, which is in the early fifties, mid sixties. I gotta get on that one. Well. You haven't tried it yet? No. No, okay. So not that you have to. I just found that that years in time, those that era in time was tremendous. Just the well, the way that people conducted themselves. Yes, totally. every, everyone's crushing darts everywhere. <laughs> I mean, have you ever flown everywhere. Everywhere. Have you ever flown in a plane in those days where the, there was that kind of service for drinks? The way- no. No. But I do rem- I remember in planes where people would smoke. You're in row 14, the guy in row 15 smoking. He's in the smoking you remember, section You remember smoking sections in planes? Yes. See, now, when I grew up, they were all welded shut. Yeah. Did you ever crush one on a plane? Like, Mm-mm. wow. Imagine. No, I was too young then. 37,000 feet, you're flying from Moncton to Toronto, and you decide, I'm going to have a dart right now. <laughs> I mean, come on. If you lit a cigarette on a plane you. right now, they'd open the door and kick your arse right yeah. out of it. Unbelievable. The, the the what a different world it was then check us out on spotify folks apple podcasts uh, subscribe send us a review five stars if you're uh, so inclined and uh, share away and let's uh, get some people uh, involved and in listening to uh, the run thanks to victor and the crew here at east side a creative center uh, thanks to uh, jeremy bork uh, for the theme music so why don't we do this for the next show and let's be dedicated to this Oh gosh, we will do our regular, you know, new, uh, you know, prominent topics um, of that might happen in the next seven days. But let's do this: uh, compile a list of. Are we getting homework now? Yes, okay. I'm giving you homework. Compile a list of uh, deaths in in 2020. I know that's morbid. Sorry, but what a year it's been in that regard. Not only locally, but internationally, nationally. Prominent people, non-prominent people. That come to mind for you, and I'll do my own list, okay? okay? Number two, I want you, because both of us love food, I want you to think uh, about some of the favorite meals you've ever had uh, while on the road. Be it uh, on the road and we stop at a restaurant, or on the road the meal is in your lap while you're traveling on a bus, uh, something like that. Can you do that? I can do that right now. I know, but let's say And for the next for hour next and a half, <laughs> and you would never okay, get a word in great, edgewise. Great. I want you to do that. Okay? Um, okay, I can do that. Okay. Um, 
because you uh, both of us uh, like to talk about the stories about how we eat food, how we found food, uh, what was the best food, what isn't good food. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a food that was good that you suddenly got <laughs> sick of real quick because you did it all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, how we go about getting food on the road and, and there's stories that go along with all that. So um, let's let's do that for homework. Well, let's put uh, favorite meal slash hotels and. Okay. Do your homework. Make notes. I got it all right here. Yeah. I got it all yeah. right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for listening in. The Run, episode 18. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, review, share, and uh, we'll get back at you real soon. Good for now? Yeah, I'm great.